0: Add passion and stir is the podcast from Share Our Strength. I'm Billy Shore. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Hi, I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm in Washington, D.C. today with my sister again, Debbie Shore, co-founder of Share Our Strength.
1: Great to be here.
0: Uh, And two guests that I'm so excited to have because Share Our Strength is all about uh, food and wine and how food and wine and the culinary community can be leveraged to help kids. And I feel like we've got the perfect combination of guests for that. Uh, We've got Nadine Brown, who is a sommelier, and general manager and partner at Society Fair, a food hall. And Nadine has been involved with Sheriff Strength for a wow, while, Nadine. A long time. A long time. Going back ten, to ten years? many yeah, of our events yeah. at Charlie Palmer Steak yeah. on yes. Capitol Hill. Yes. That you made absolutely stunning and memorable. We miss you Thank there. You. So, yes, we do. We do.
1: I think everybody must. Yes.
0: Uh, Thank and you. Lucy Martinez Sullivan, who on the other side of this equation is all about how we convince society to invest in kids and particularly how nutrition builds their brains and bodies. Uh, Lucy is the CEO of an organization called 1000 Days.
2: It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm glad you're here. Um, So I want to start by just as we always start, how you got to be doing what you're doing because you're both doing such interesting things and probably most people would think uh, I wish I could be doing what Nadine and Lucy's doing. It uh, looks like fun, and it also looks like it's got meaning. Um, Nadine, um, Jamaica, Puerto high school Rico. in Puerto Rico, right. and now Washington, D.C.
3: college A. in Boston. Um, yes. And, and What and, was your family doing in Jamaica? Um, so I was born for, in Jamaica. I'm, I'm Jamaican, and uh, my mom worked for the Jamaican embassy, and she opened an office in Puerto Rico, which is how we ended up in Puerto Rico. I left high school and went to Boston there. Um, and I've always wanted to work with kids. You know, I wanted to be a kid psychologist and I wanted to be an art therapist. Um, so, and social work was, you know, was, was, was my field, and I did that for a couple of years. But did you go to college in Boston? In Boston. Did I did go to college in Boston. Uh, Wheelock College? Oh, of course. Yeah, I know. It. I live in Back Bay. So, we're, okay. we're not very far from Across Wheelock. Across from Simmons and right. Manuel, just too many women in a small, <laughs> 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 you know, it, um, it was an all women's school for a long time when I, you know, got there in 91. Um, the year of the perfect storm, the Nor'easter, <laughs> when I got to Boston from Puerto Rico. Um, but it was it was a great experience. And I came to D.C. in 96, kind of moved back home with mom, regrouping, um, and try to find a job in the field. D.C. was very different in 1996 than it is, you know, today. Um, I think I interviewed at grandma's place, you know, places that were going to give $12 an hour for a caseload of a lot of kids and I'd worked with social workers were getting burnt out. I was like, I'll do something for the summer and go back. I worked at Moto Photo for about two weeks. That was, <laughs> I remember developing film. Um, and then there was an ad a paper, in the paper looking for a host. New restaurant opened on Capitol Hill. No experience needed. They were looking for a hostess. So I applied. Gordon Lee, who is still a mentor and a friend, Hired me. Um, it was what was the restaurant? Bistro Beast. Oh sure, Bistro Beast. Um, so it started working for Jeffrey Boobin. Yep, Jeff Boobin. And you know, having my foundation in in food and wine being French, you know, in retrospect was was very helpful. But mm-hmm. always had every intention of going back. You know, but when we opened, we were you know, hot new place on on the hill. I was seating senators and you know, meeting Hillary Clinton. And um, you, know, you cut the, the bug. Time. I yeah. got the bug. I got the bug. And there's this energy in restaurants that's really infectious um, and I started reading about wine and I worked my way up from hosting when I left I was a manager um, and got I was really lucky to taste a lot of great wines from investors and and yeah that's kind of but how up until started. then you
1: hadn't even really had wine
3: I hadn't really had one. You, you, know, you came from places where wine coffee. is not really a big thing, yeah, right? Coffee, rum, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, yeah, yeah. other other things, right? Um, I remember reading a book about champagne. It Was about the history of champagne, and was fascinating how when the Nazis came, they hid the champagne down in the mm-hmm. caves. And there is a lot of great history and geography and language. You know, there is a unifying mm-hmm. thing about wine. You know, I can meet someone mm-hmm. from Germany, and the language is not all the way there, but there is a connection. Um, you know, and I can tell them stuff about. You know about their history for you know, hundreds of uh, years Nadine, because of so, wine.
0: It's so interesting you say that we had on the podcast. Gre- uh, well, Greg-ing. Greg, Greg from craft beer. Yeah. 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 So this was so interesting. He was a, 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 a literature right. major, and he cared. His passion was religion, culture, politics, history, and he realized he could learn as much about all that through beer yeah. as he could through literature. Yeah. Um, so Lucy. What was your path to a uh, thousand days?
2: It, interestingly enough, it started in the Caribbean. Uh, my parents really? are well. My parents are Cuban. I was born in in the United States, but um, yeah, they they came to this country, so they're immigrants. Like any many child children of immigrants, I was encouraged to work hard and make the most of the opportunity of being in this country, and that led me on a path to business, you know, being a successful business person so after after college i went to business school where did you go to college um i went to the university of florida uh-huh. and then oh
0: you went to wharton business school right i did i'm a Penn grad yeah, I, I did saw that. Yeah.
2: yes and after business school i decided to to sort of be in the world of marketing uh and i worked for l'oreal i worked for limited brands so i got really good at uh, selling ideas and concepts and aspirations but, you know, I, I found myself in a career not really aligned with my values. And I remember being in a meeting and being sort of asked or, or told that my, my job was to stress over every detail of that garment, every button, every seam. And I just thought to myself, how did I get here that this is, this is what I'm being asked to do? My job and,
0: definition <laughs> is to be stressed.
2: And, and about <laughs> over a, a piece of clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I thought, this is this is not you know, what my parents would have wanted for me. So I, I decided to quit my job, and I um, I volunteered for a nonprofit organization, um, and they take business people like me and send them off to, you know, different places around the world, developing countries around the world.
0: What was the nonprofit? Uh,
2: it's called TechnoServe.
0: Oh, yeah, of course, TechnoServe. Yeah. Yeah, former so we, partner of ours. Former yes. partner Did you of know that? And, um, yeah. and that's where Alfred Wise, one of our colleagues, went uh, to work. I don't
1: yep. remember the country that we were working with them on but we they were one of our international partners
2: yeah they are they're terrific so so their their model is business solutions to poverty and so i was asked to go and help entrepreneurs and small business owners in a developing country sort of you know create a product line and uh and figure out how to how to be more profitable and they they saw that i spoke spanish and so they're like hey we have these projects in central america Um, You know, would you be interested in that? And I said, yeah, sure. And and then we also had this project in Mozambique. So Mozambique is this country in sub-Saharan Africa, very poor, had a terrible civil war. And I said, you know what? When am I going to get the chance to go to Mozambique? I don't even know where, you know, if I look on a map, I can't even find Mozambique. Um, So I decided to go there. And that was, that was the life changer. I saw a depth of poverty in that country that I'd never seen before. Which
0: which looked like what, I mean?
2: uh... You know, no electricity, no running water, problems with malaria, women who die in childbirth on any given night that, you know, you're in a village or, or whatever. And it was just, it was so extraordinary to think, I have these skills and talents that I'm thankful for, and how do I, how can I, how can I take these skills and talents and put them to good use? And so that led me down a path that, ultimately re- resulted in, in me founding, helping to found, and, and, and now run uh, 1,000 Days, and we're an advocacy organization that focuses on making sure that moms and babies here in the United States and around the world get the nutrition they need to, to thrive.
0: Share uh, our strength, we went through this transition where we were involved in all kinds of hunger issues, and Nadine, I think when you first started working with us, right. we were probably making grants to hundreds of organizations, uh, food banks, advocacy organizations, but we came to the conclusion that the most effective and highly leveraged intervention that we could make would be around children. And that if you could solve childhood hunger, you could actually solve a lot of other problems with it. Right. Or if you look at it conversely, there's so many things that we care about, the, the solutions to which and whether it's climate change or education or healthcare or. Nuclear pro- proliferation. The solution to all these problems are multi-generational. We're going to have to make investments right. that reach beyond our lifetime. And the only way to do that is to invest in kids and make sure the next generation is strong. So we actually kind of got belatedly, I think, Lucy, to where you are, which is we've got to make these early investments in kids and build the public will for
2: it. That's exactly right. And there's so many things that happen early in a child's life that matter for the rest of their life and, and even for their for their children's life we have to get it right. If we miss that window of opportunity, you know, between pregnancy and, and um, early childhood, you know, age two or three, you know, it's hard to get that back because the baby's brains are developing at that time, you know, the, their, their bodies are growing, and they, they really do need love, the nutrition, the care uh, to help them grow up in a way that they can thrive and in a way that they can be productive members of, of society and, and have healthy kids of their own.
1: You know, I know the thousand days focuses on the pregnancy, right, the nine months and then the first two years. But is there a time within those
2: thousand days that's even more critical than another part of the thousand days? That's such a great question. Um, I would argue that it's actually pregnancy and that it starts with mom, that it starts with woman. And so if a woman's entering pregnancy healthy and ready to have a baby, you know, that that baby's going to have a lot better of a chance in life. So if we care about kids and their health and their well-being, we actually have to care about their mothers, you know, and we and we have to care about them for, for the sake of mm-hmm. the women themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but because so much of what happens with mom during her pregnancy, even after her pregnancy, uh, affects children and their growth and their well-being. And so we see, interestingly enough, we see this kind of intergenerational cycle of malnutrition between moms and babies, particularly in the in the developing world where you have malnourished mothers who in some cases are adolescent girls you know giving birth to malnourished mm-hmm. children and the cycle sort of repeats mm-hmm. itself
0: and you bo- you each have two kids i think yeah. correct and did did. Uh, did becoming a mom change your sense of how to be involved in the community on these types of issues
3: absolutely on a on a couple different levels there's you know so much research and so much technology like i remember having an app on my phone that told me every day you know, when I was pregnant, like what was going on, like the ears being formed right now. You know, really? and just how cool. you know how important nutrition is. Yeah. You know, and how it can affect you know an adult. I mean, it affects their DNA while you know while they're in the the womb. That affects them. You know, 30, 40 years. You know, long after I'm gone. And how important, um, how important
2: it is. I mean, for me, it it definitely changed. I mean, for it, when when I started this work, um, it was sort of an intellectual passion because I was so struck by. Obviously, what I'd seen in in my travels, but also the the data around you know, how many kids die of malnutrition each year. And at the at the time, it was close to three million kids a year that die from from, from hunger. It's crazy, right?
0: And and theory of preventable death.
2: Completely preventable. Like we don't need a new invention. We don't need a new vaccine. Yeah. We just need the political will to solve it. And there was more money being spent on treating HIV/AIDS, malaria, all very important, critical uh, diseases that affect families and children in particular. But the, the amount of money that was going to to, to treat or, or prevent malnutrition was, was minuscule. And it just it got me angry. And I was sort of, you know, and it, it was an intellectual passion at, at the time. And then when I when I got pregnant and, and went through that journey myself and um, you know, and I'm I'm lucky. I live in Washington DC. I, I have resources, I'm I'm pretty well educated, and I couldn't and I was and I was even facing challenges and, and sort of struggles, and I couldn't imagine what it was like to be a woman who doesn't have a lot of resources? Who lives um, in poverty and doesn't have the information she needs, and or be able to access medical care? I couldn't imagine what that was like, and so it, it very much became an emotional passion for me yeah. once I had kids.
1: I think it changed. I think everybody feels that tremendous sense of responsibility when they have a child, and then they feel responsibility for everybody in a way that they didn't before. I I got pregnant so late in life; I was 46, and I was very healthy and I had a healthy pregnancy, but the minute I had my daughter, like literally the second she was born, I felt different
0: about... You wanted a cheeseburger, I recall.
1: (laughs) So true. (laughs) I I was there and and what
0: you felt was hungry. (laughs) I, and I, I had to go to White Tower and get her a cheeseburger five minutes after she delivered.
1: I did need a cheeseburger. That's amazing. But, but it, I think but you it, were making
0: it more profound. I was. Point. I'm going to say it. thank
1: you. But but it does make you feel. I had been in Sheriff's Strength for 17 years before I had my daughter, and had a you know had an intellectual connection to the issue, but then I had an emotional connection to yeah. the issue the minute she was born. It was like. And to this day, she's seventeen. I wanna know what did she have before her volleyball game? Is she hungry when she gets home? When she stays at a friend's house, you know, what did you eat? You're you're so consumed with that, you know how important it is to get food into your kid at any age. But it changes a lot, I think, when you when you do have a child. Feeding
3: feeding people, I mean, even from the restaurants, you know, that's that's it's such a personal thing, giving people its nourishment. Mm -hmm. Like there's not in terms of just love, I mean it sounds cheesy, but you know, feeding people is love and, and just our basic
1: I was basic at, Oh need. yeah. I was at a restaurant, yes, I was in New York. We just finished a big twenty fifth year anniversary of autumn harvest, which Danny Meyer's been doing for Share Strength for twenty five years to raise funds. And we had this incredible evening and the next day I went and had lunch uh, with a woman from a restaurant called Shuka. And she's half Italian and half Indonesian and she came and joined us for for lunch. And she was talking about, she just started talking about what food meant to her and why it's important that I was in the room with her, another colleague was with me, and she ordered everything, of course, from the kitchen. Everything was, you know, coming out. And she was talking about how for her, food isn't just, you know, isn't just eating. It isn't just nourishment for her body. It is about giving love back to everybody around Mm -hmm. her. And every chef you talk to says that. And they all, that is such a common, heartfelt theme that they feel. And it's... um, it's universal and it's a lot more than just nourishing your body yeah,
3: it
2: feels good it's
3: instant gratification right you put the that's plate right. down that's and, right
1: yeah.
2: yeah and if you think about it the the from the moment we're born i mean we we need we need food we need that the warmth that comes with the touch of mom or dad and then the food that you know that we are programmed basically to to, to get from moms as she you know produces milk Yeah.
1: One thing that always frustrates me when, when we're talking about an issue like this, and I wonder how, um, Lucy, you think uh, we can address it, is how, why can't we get people to pay attention to something so basic, so important for children today, but also for all the reasons, Billy, you were talking about. For every issue we care about, we need a strong generation. Well, we say all the right things. Well, right? why don't we, we do we, them? We, what, what is between doing them and saying them? Why can't we motivate people? The right people, enough. In the policy world, in the decision making world, in the leadership world, why is it so hard to get the political will?
2: I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a question we grapple with every single day because we're an advocacy organization and our jobs is, is you know, they're, they're literally to get people to care about young kids and their mothers and the food that these kids need to have. So some of it is just there's there's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of you know competing priorities. There's yeah. a lot of clutter. To lot clutter. There right. is a lot of clutter, and there are you know the there are groups that have you know that you're you're out there you're you're competing against other agendas. You're competing against um, you know lobbyists that are lobbying for very good things, oftentimes at the end of the day we we do have to ask you know where are we putting where are we putting our resources where are we putting our energy and if if we don't get kids off to the right start we're going to pay for that later down the road we're going to pay for it in higher healthcare costs we're going to pay for it in terms of you know lower economic productivity for these kids you know who who don't have the brain power quite frankly or are unhealthy um to, to be able to be thriving members of, of society. And so I think it's it's trying to make the argument about kind of what happens, you know, early in a kid's life and why nutrition is so critical and, and, and that we get it right. Um it's about making an economic case to some audiences. Like, listen, this is about dollars and cents. If you if you want to save money down the road and avoid problems down the, healthcare the road. Too. H- yeah. Healthcare too. Absolutely healthcare, a hundred percent. And then there's there's the emotional piece. I think this issue lends itself to connecting with people, which I think it's part of the brilliance of Share Our Strength, quite frankly, and how you leverage you know, people's love of food and and chefs and restaurants and just the whole all of the culinary arts and, and connect with people on an emotional level. Because they're moms, because they go to restaurants and, you know, and love food or wine. Or they're
1: educators and they see what, you know, what happens to their kids it, in the classroom, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: this is where Nadine's industry has made such a profound difference for us because beyond just, you know, our, our goal is always not just to preach to the choir, but to make that choir grow. And so, Nadine, you've had a platform. Right, right, and I've seen you use it. Whether it's Charlie Palmer Steak or now it's Society Fair, you have a platform where people come in and um, they get exposed to issues that they otherwise wouldn't get exposed to. So it's there's some real power there. It gives you a voice.
3: Yeah, and it made me think of you know the fact that you know I'm an immigrant, your first you know first generation, and I think you mentioned just not being able to see it. You know, I remember you know, growing up in, in the 80s and those the images of the, the famine in Ethiopia, right? It was all over the news. You saw the, the pictures of the That's babies. how Sheriff
1: Shrink got started, by the way. Really? Because of the Ethiopian famine yeah. in 1984. And I yeah. think there was Sorry. like a
3: whole, yeah. you know, generation that saw that and it, you know, it stuck with you. And then even the um, feed the children and they, they would use, and it almost got to the point where I felt it lost some of its effect mm. because, um, not some of its effect, but but you know what I mean? But I think it's, it's others. It's, it's right. someone else. Um, and in the political climate, so I feel like there's, even you know, whether it's food stamps, you have to work or you have to show that you're going to fill out four jobs. You're kind of not missing the point. Like you've you've done something to put yourself in this pl- place. There's right. a little bit of, I feel there's a little bit of blame or you know, mm-hmm. why did you have so many children or, or mm-hmm. whatever, yes. you know, yeah. whatever it is. Um, and we're kind of in a bubble. We're kind of in a bubble here. I think people yeah. don't realize that there are people lining up know, the trunk in Virginia for healthcare to get their yeah. teeth fixed. You know that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, you put your finger on something, um, Nadine, because I feel like there's never a problem convincing people that they should uh, help feed a hungry child. Right. I could, I could get everybody to do that. But when it comes to helping that child's. family Family. parents right then the politics around that breaks down right really quickly right for all the reasons you just described you know are they working are they involved with drugs are they having too many kids because
3: it's america Uh, you gotta pull yourself up and you know but ultimately for for the
0: reasons i think that lucy was describing we've got to find a way to turn that corner because the best thing we can do for these kids is help their moms early er, early on Yeah,
2: yeah i mean i'm a i'm a child of a of a single mom she worked in a in a factory um, when she came to this country. Um, she had like a fourth grade education. So she's she's one of the people that, you know, wouldn't be looked on as somebody you these days, as mm-hmm. somebody you want in this country as a, as a high value immigrant, because, you know, she was not very well educated and, you know, didn't have a lot to contribute. And not only that, she was on a government assistance program. She She used, you know, food stamps basically to feed my sister and I. And when there's all this conversation happening around the value of these federal nutrition programs, which are so critical, And, you know, and whether people can have their immigration status revoked because they use these programs, it's a very personal issue to me, in addition to being kind of the professional issue, which is, you know, we cannot afford to have any child, regardless of their parents' immigration status, get off to a wrong start because we're going to pay for that later Mm -hmm. down the road. It's an issue that I struggle with because uh, there, for the grace of God, go I. I was lucky enough to have all the right breaks in life in terms of studying hard, working hard, um, you know, getting a good education, and then going off, um, you know, and and doing the kind of work that I do. And everybody should have that chance. I I do believe, and it's a and it it is fundamentally about your values. I think you asked about political will, and why can't we? you know, get more political will to solve these problems. We have to tap into people's values. If if they say they yeah. care about families, then then okay, well, like show yeah. me. That's and, proof in the pudding there.
1: And you actually don't have to get everybody involved. Right. You have to get the right people. Yes. So that I kind of answer That's my own true. question. You know, you need the right influencers. We need the right influencers in the culinary world, like you and others, Nadine. You know, we don't go after everybody. We go after people who we think can help reach a broader audience and make a decision that will affect the issues that we care about. So you, you need the right the right folks. A few
0: yeah. weeks ago, we were down on the border, and we spent the morning in immigration court. And they have, in addition to the terrible family separation issues, they have 300 unaccompanied minors come over mm. every week. That's a lot of kids. Uh, and mostly come from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, but come through Mexico. And I think what people don't understand is something that you were just referring to. Lucy, which is uh, these kids end up in our system, okay? Most of them end up being sponsored by somebody somewhere, and they go somewhere else in the country. And before you know it, these kids are in our schools, and they're in our healthcare system. And if we don't take care of them, uh, I always think of something James Baldwin, the author, uh, said, which is these are all our children, and we will either profit by or pay for whatever Mm -hmm. they become. We'll either profit by or pay for. So as you were saying, we'll we'll pay for it one way or the other, or, or we'll be fortunate not to if we make the right investment. But I think people don't realize that, you know, this is something that impacts all of us. I'd I'd love to just stay on the immigration issue because you're children of of immigrants. And how do you, uh, I don't think any of us are expert in this area, and there's no easy solutions, but how do you kind of personally process the balance between knowing what you and your parents brought to this country and how valuable it is, uh, and the fact that we can't have completely open borders right we can't it's just the the world has changed so that doesn't work how do how should people be thinking about the immigration issue even just on the personal or emotional level it's a hard question. <laughs> it is a hard question.
2: <laughs> it is a hard question. Our identity as a as a country uh, is about immigration in, in one shape, you know in one sh- way, shape or form. and and so it's interesting to me to have these these conversations about well, how much and you know and and sort of when is enough enough and and what kind of immigrants and and all that. Um, because we should be proud of the fact that people want to come to this country. We, we do live in an amazing society. Um, the freedoms that we have, uh, the opportunities that we have, are incredible, and they are incredible because we we've made them that way, and we and, and immigrants have helped preserve um, those values, those ideals, and some of those systems. The other thing that we have to realize is, you know, that people don't just up and decide to leave their homes because they just they think it's going to be better over there. They, you know, a lot of the immigrants, especially from from Central America, I mean, these these families are enduring extreme levels of of violence and instability and poverty. And so to the extent that we as a country can also help in the internet, working within the international system, working, you know, with our tools, whether it's diplomacy or development assistance to stabilize these countries, to ensure that you know, the poorest of the poor in those countries are also getting the right start. That keeps people in those countries. The The combination of isolationism that we're seeing in our foreign policy as a country, as well as, I think, the, the xenophobia, oh, you know, these outsiders, these immigrants, and, you know, what kind of immigrants are we getting? Do we want these people here? I think is is, is really a, a toxic combination for, for who we are as a country, for our democracy, and for... Um, you know, kind of the the future well-being of this country.
3: Unfortunately, cause it's a scare tactic that's worked for for a long time, right? You know, I remember you know, a couple months ago that you know they would there were profiles of of immigrants or second generation, whether it's Steve Jobs who was a who was was a Syrian, his father was a Syrian immigrant, and Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, yeah. or the guy, you know, all of these. Technologies and jobs and industries. Yeah, children uh, of immigrants. Which, yeah, whether we even go back a century, right, to the Oppenheimers, and and you just you just never know. But on a right now today, this summer we weren't able to offer crab because crab is was extremely expensive because there's no one to pick the crab in Maryland, mm-hmm. right? That's something that's affecting restaurants, yeah, yeah. and and our bottom lines. Um, you know, right now there there are farmers in Georgia with tomatoes that are on the you know on the fields that they can't pick and there has to be, you know, it's a big issue, but even just small, how do you figure out how to get, because some of them would come in, pick and happily go home. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right? You know, even just right. the will to come up with common sense solutions, just, you know, yep. you know, yes, we need to deal with Congress and the big things, but even just, yeah, how can we get Maryland <laughs> fish grass, crabbers right, to, get, right. to, to get picked? Right. Yeah.
2: So much of our food is either you know, produced or, or picked or cooked by immigrants that you know are in this country one way or the other because they, they, they want to make a better life right. for themselves and, and their you know, family. And then we can get on Jose Andres and you know, Victor right. and like, the whole... There,
1: there just doesn't seem to be that conversation coming back out against the... And there doesn't seem to be the backlash publicly, like everything that we're talking about and the people that have... The children of immigrants who have helped to build some of the most amazing companies that are global. You, you hear so much negativity about immigration, right. but you don't hear...
0: The other side as much um, i want to talk a little bit more nitty-gritty about what you're both doing right now okay. i want to hear about society fair and right. what that looks like and right. what what um uh, it's, how, how, it's it's it's, how it's succeeding it's a circus, <laughs> it's a circus. <laughs> describe it
3: and the you know the motif it's where's it's, it located it's, it's an old town in virginia you know we're going towards towards mount vernon i've been there since november i was at charlie palmer for 14 years 14 years,
0: uh, 14 wow. years. was it hard to leave
3: it was hard to leave, but, you know, it was time. My husband is the chef and partner at Society for Makes Fear, it easier. And, you know, starting or out, harder. I was going to go help <laughs> you for a couple months, and um, and here we are. So it's a, it's a very, it's a food emporium, which is a big word. It's a little European concept where there's a market and there's a butcher, a bakery. We make a lot of stuff on site mean, a lot of stuff. We make the cranberry juice that goes in the cosmos. Maybe one or two many, too much stuff. There is a wine bar and a bistro, a small event space. We do weddings. So um, you cater stuff. also? We do catering mm-hmm. and we do, you know, weddings in the in the venue. There's an atrium um, where we are, so it's it's a little it's a unique place. But I'm having fun and it's challenging. I have a two year old, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, and a seven year old, and and balancing. I'm on the board of the restaurant association, and a big part of what um, I want to bring to the table is how to get more women in the industry and allowing women to stay. A lot of people mm-hmm. start, and once they start having, there are a lot of industries, but especially you know the higher up. I remember, like the higher up I went, there were less women, less mm-hmm. women. I'm like, we're all the women when yep. they had kids, mm-hmm. so so they left, you know, because they're twelve, 12, 13 hour days, and they they don't. It doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. you know, just being creative. Yeah, um, you know, first off. You know, starting with it's important to have women at the table, um, you know, and, and figuring out creative ways to, to make that happen, yeah. you know, thinking outside the box.
0: And what are the, some of the ways that you do that?
3: Yeah, well, child care is always, you know, child yeah, care is always key. an yep. issue. Being as flexible as, as you can, like right before I, I got here, I got a, a call from from my son's school. He's in the nurse's office again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go get him. And he bumped his head and they were calling me. But, you know, you never you never know and you just, you know, you just have to go think sometimes that can be looked down on or, you know, that
0: there she is leaving again. For my son, it was always the principal's office. So you should be, <laughs> be glad it was the nurse's <laughs> office.
1: <laughs> so now that you're in a position of leadership, you can, yeah. you know, you can hire and you can make those decisions. And I feel like at Share Strength, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty cognizant of that. and We're pretty flexible of that. And you see yeah. it, you see it come back to you and, you know, in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an investment that really pays off.
3: And it's little things. Yesterday I went to, to lunch with him yeah I had to work, but I went, you can go in and have lunch with mm-hmm. him, whether it's leaving for three hours to go on a field trip and coming back, you know right. just being 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 flexible.
0: yeah. You know. So Lucy, for a thousand days. yeah, um, you know so w- when I ask you this question about you know kind of like what do you do? I keep thinking of a conversation I had out at Facebook with Cheryl Sandberg, who was very interested in the hunger issue. And as I started to talk about share our strength and school meals program and leveraging the food assistance programs, she' was like, I'm sorry, she goes, I don't get. what do you do? and uh, so i yeah. kind of backed up a little bit i backed up a little bit and i thought i'd explain it a little better and you know and she was like no, I don't, I don't. I don't understand. I'm like, well, what do you do? She goes, do you do you cook food? Do you buy food? Do you, <laughs> you hand the food out yourself? What do you do? Yeah. So tell us for an advocacy organization. I think I, I, the reason yeah. I set that up that way is for an advocacy organization, it's harder for people to understand. It you know, what is it that you actually do every day?
2: Yeah, when I'm when I'm at a cocktail party and people ask me that, I I, I sometimes struggle. I, I run an organization yeah. and we work on. Oh, okay, so you help feed kids? No, we don't help feed kids. It's not about that. We're we're sort of an advocacy organization. Oh, and then I get these puzzled looks because we're in D.C. I can say, well. Well, we're right. lobbyists. We're lobbyists for, for little kids and their parents, especially in you know, poor places around the world. And sometimes that, you know, people get that. You're talking about enabling women to be in the workforce, be in positions of leadership or you know, own their own businesses, what have you. One of the things we do is actually advocate. I know it's another, it's that word again. But for a national paid parental leave policy, basically paid maternity leave, paid paternity leave, because we know that kids, babies, especially when they're born, they need to be with their parents, um, mothers in particular, need time to heal from you know from from childbirth. Um, one in four women in this country go back to work within two weeks of giving birth. Mm. That's just crazy. That's crazy. And we're the only country in the world, the only major economy in the world that doesn't have a paid parental leave policy on the books. Uh, and many great companies, including Facebook, um, and small businesses, too. I mean, we're a small nonprofit organization. we We have paid leave policies for our employees. Um, and I tell you, you know it's it's it makes such a difference in employees' lives. It really, really does. And it enables women to spend the time that they need, healing from childbirth, spending time with their kids, and then, you know, know that they're going to be able to come back to a job, um, you know that's that that's there waiting for them. The other thing is, I think we you know we need to understand the the linkages between, you know, people taking time off because they they got sick or they have a sick kid or they just had a baby, you know, they lose their jobs or they can't go back to work for whatever reason, and then they go on these food assistance programs. They, they go on, on, on the SNAP program or on WIC. Again, we're paying the cost of not doing right by moms and babies. In the li- first place. Yeah, yeah, in the first place. Um, so that's one of the things we do. So we push, you know, we, we talk to Congress. We we try to get grassroots communities of moms mobilized. And the stories that we get from mothers, um, especially through through Facebook, you know, women sharing these incredible stories toss, ab- toss. about, yeah, they you know, their baby was born premature. Their baby ended up in the NICU. And they had to leave their baby in the NICU and go back to work.
0: Which is, what, neonatal intensive care? Yes, right. the,
2: the neonatal intensive care unit. And, you know, these, these babies are so fragile because they were born too soon. And many of them are really tiny, very, very small, need a lot of medical attention. And, and they need their, their, their moms. And their moms from their own, you know, mental health and well-being want to be next to, to their babies. And, you know, you have a lot of stories of parents that have to because they have other kids, they have bills to pay, they have to go back to work. And if they don't, they're, they'll lose their jobs, right? And
0: Lucy, are you talking about in this country or all in around the world? In this country. And, and is your work focused here and outside yes. the U.S.? So domestic, How do you yes. it up?
2: Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, so, I mean, we, we believe that, you know, kids everywhere, we know that they need the good nutrition that helps them get a strong start to life. And it doesn't matter whether that baby's born in India or Indiana. The context is different, of course. So when it comes to looking at the problem here in the United States, you know, we we want to make sure that all babies get the strongest start to life, and that means, you know, being uh, with their with their mothers as, as long as possible, paid parental leave. That means for the poorest families in the United States that they have access to, um, you know, to programs like the Women, Infant, and Children program or the WIC program, the SNAP program, food stamps, um, other things like that. Um, and then health care is a big part of it. You know, so much of um, the financial strain that a lot of American families are facing um, and the hunger that results as a, uh, from that is is due to health care costs, is due to, you know, not having health insurance or not being able to pay medical bills. And so, you know, making sure that in particular moms and children have access to high quality comprehensive care here in the United States.
1: You know, I was just wondering uh, among the industrialized countries yeah. of which we are, where do we rank in terms of nutrition? We for, for within this thousand days, yeah, window. no, it's
2: it's a great question. Um, we have one of the highest rates of low birth weight and preterm births. Yeah. Um, so that means that moms during pregnancy, something is happening during pregnancy that is, you know, not leading to good health outcomes for babies. so we we rank pretty poorly on that measure. Pretty it's crazy. high it is crazy. Pretty high rates of obesity as we as we know in this country, especially compared to other peers, although every country right now is in, in some way shape or form dealing with some of the problems of of obesity or, or diet related uh, chronic diseases. and And so we're not investing in in the right things. I mean, I know it's not sexy to invest in prevention in things like making sure that moms and babies have the nutrition they need. It sounds so basic and it's it could prevent so many problems mm-hmm. and we're not doing it.
0: Well do you think I mean you both talk so poignantly and powerfully about this bond between mom and child from your own personal experience and from the, the policy work that you do. Do you see women and moms becoming an even stronger political force than they've become? Uh, yes. yes. What's, <laughs> what's gonna happen? And how will that how will that happen?
3: I mean it's happening right now. I think there's your know, record Women running, yeah. Women winning. I mean, from school, Eric, from governor of Georgia to school boards yeah. to you know every everywhere yeah. in in between.
2: And one of the cool things I'm seeing, and and you're probably seeing this too, is um, that women are using their mom identity to run. You know, the campaign okay. ads is that's that comes out pretty early on, and that's on it, your bio. Mom. It used it used to be that you wouldn't the top, yeah. You know, yeah. It used to be that you wouldn't. Sort of yeah. announce that because, right, right. oh, you know, then there's questions. Well, is she really yeah. going to give her all or is she going to be, you know, having to take the calls from yeah. the principal's office or I mean, whatever yeah. To, to, yeah. to have to go? And you see moms breastfeeding in campaign yeah. ads, which yeah. I just think is and in, in parliaments bad. and the president of New Zealand.
3: And yeah,
1: watch out, guys.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay, so there's reason <laughs> it's for hope. Coming. There's a reason, reason for, for hope. hope. You've talked about. Uh, babies literally being built from nutrition. Yes. I think that's one of the things I've read from you. That babies are literally built from nutrition. Say a little bit more about what that what that means.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, starting in in pregnancy, um, a baby eats what his mom's eating, right? Like whatever she's putting in her body, food wise, that baby that's what the baby's getting, and um, the baby is built from nutrition in terms of the the nutrients, the proteins, the fats. Um, all help build the, you know, the immune system of a baby, the brain of a baby, the organs of a baby. And so it's really important that we um, ensure that women in particular during pregnancy, well, number one, entering pregnancy in a healthy healthy way, ready to have a baby. And then number two, during pregnancy, have the health care they need and the support they need. And of course, the food and nutrition that they need to, you know, to give birth to a healthy baby. And then once baby's born, I mean that the, the nutrition and the nurturing that children get from their parents and other caregivers, that's what builds their brains. Um, the amount of brain growth that happens in those first three years of life is incredible. It's absolutely incredible, and the connections that are being made in a baby's brains. And you think about from the time a newborn,
0: so that, like literally the architecture of yes. the brain, is being created.
2: Yes, and it's and food is is a it sort of provides the building blocks for for that architecture, um, and then also once the baby's born, the the relationships and how um, the baby relates. I mean, the baby is you know is 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 learning all about his his world around him.
1: Which nutrients are kind of. How would you rank the most important ones? Um,
2: Iron plays a really, really important role, um, especially in in the first few years Mm. of life and also in utero. Things like folic acid are actually really, really important. That's why, you know, there's so much promotion of prenatal vitamins. Yes, because the absence of folic acid, especially early on in pregnancy, can lead to birth defects, neural tube defects, things like that. And then, um, you know, sort of there's uh, these... These fats—they um, have a very long name, polyunsaturated fatty acids—that are really important to the to the brain development of a baby, and that you know babies get that through through breastfeeding a lot of the times, but also through through eggs and and other proteins.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I've heard vitamin D too. Like yes. a lot of research, you know, especially for African Americans as well. Yeah you know, vitamin D deficiency. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Can I give you something else to do? Do you need yes, anything else to do? Absolutely. Okay. Bring it on. Well, you know, one, one thing that occurs to me is I'm thinking of an organization like Share Our Strength. We've worked on this hunger issue for, you know, 30-some years. Uh, most of our intervention takes place when kids get to school yeah. because we leverage the school nutrition programs. But we have this big gap, frankly, between 0 to 5 that we're now kind of scrambling to correct, and we've got a lot of folks thinking about it. But I'll bet a lot of... Um, of um, social serving nonprofits are in somewhat of a similar situation and I feel like they need an organization like yours to coach them and steer them and support them in terms of making their investments earlier yeah. so I feel like your audience is not just this broad group of policymakers and moms and so forth but you know other nonprofits who are so well intended and so purposeful about trying to serve kids or, or in most cases my guess is they're not starting early enough
2: yeah, I mean that's that's what I've learned. Being in this in this role is the earlier you start, the better, because so much is happening so early on, and you can lock in those those gains. Um, and, you know, baby's brain starts to develop very early on in pregnancy, and so and then continue so much development in the first few years. And you're right. I mean, we love working with other organizations because we're not in the business of, of feeding kids, but many other organizations no. are, and we would love to. You be able to help to, us. A- absolutely we
0: really do absolutely so we've been talking about food at this very important level of its impact on kids but I also want to talk about um, as you can tell when I mentioned the word cheeseburger to my sister mm-hmm. we get excited about here uh, nadine our listeners are they love food right that right. passion and stir absolutely. is about food uh, I'll bet folks would want to know where when you can't eat it your own restaurant where you can't be at working? society fair is there some little hidden gem in this community that mm-hmm. we should be people should just like make sure you try what a little gem or big gem or, or big your, your go to just place. your, yeah, your go to yeah. Yeah.
3: just because I went recently and it's it's a new hot place but the food was so amazing it was Kaliwa where Kaliwa's oh yeah it's called Kaliwa at the wharf, at the yeah. wharf. Uh, yeah. Kaliwa. Kaliwa what's that mean does anybody know? I should know what it means. It's a Filipino, so it's a Filipino. It's called Armstrong. Yeah. Who, yeah. Oh, you know, from really? Really? Restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's Korean. It's like three different yeah. Korean and Philippine and Thai food. And it's the most, and it's an Wonderful. Irish chef, uh-huh. but it's the most authentic. What did you authentic. have? What did you have? I think everything. Everything. But it's, you know, it's spicy and just, you know, just really rich and, and flavorful. And this is just a rich, this whole area is
2: really mm-hmm. rich for, for ethnic food. How about you, Liz? Oh my gosh! So, do you live in D.C.? I do live in D.C. I don't get out as much as I'd like to because my little ones. But, um, but I'm lucky enough to live near the Palisades na- neighborhood, and uh, there's this great Belgian restaurant called Evola. Over oh yeah, there that I, I've seen that. Yeah, Ooh, I don't mm-hmm. know that It's good. Really, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good.
0: And Nadine, just we have to take advantage of the fact that you're here. Tell us about a. Favorite wine that yeah. people should an affordable. Think well, about. tell us affordable affordable one affordable one. One
1: affordable wine.
0: and notes. one that um, you know okay. we wish we could afford.
3: <laughs> one. It's gonna. Uh, it's it's a chardonnay, and there's a lot oh, of anti okay. chardonnay out there. Not but, here, we love but it's a not. It's from Loire Valley of France. It's called Chateau Bernier. It's I think I saw it for twelve dollars. Spell it. Yeah, B E R N I E R. It's from Loire Valley, and Loire Valley is really Sauvignon Blanc. Country, so it's a Chardonnay made in Savignon Blanc. It's really bright. Um, we used to use it for weddings and events a lot because people that like Pinot Grigio like it. People that don't like Chardonnay like it. Yeah, you know, people that like Savignon Blanc likes it, like it as well. Um,
1: and then one we wish
3: also, we could afford—that's one that you wish you could. Have. Grace Family Vineyards. It's a really small, ultra boutique uh, winery in Napa Valley. Napa. Uh, okay. Nick and, and Grace—they started so in is it, ra- is it a red? It's a red. Uh, they make one wine, maybe two wines. Make a, a blank, which is a second one. Um, but he is he is the real deal. He has some orphanages in Nepal. About ten percent mm. of, um, and the wine is expensive. It's about two fifty wholesale mm-hmm. a bottle. It's very very good wine. Mm. Um, I call it classic Napa wine. You know the member I don't you know the the famous, uh, tasting of Paris in in seventy two when the when the Americans' wine beat the French. And there were a very different style of California wines back mm-hmm. then. They were a little bit more French. They were a little less alcohol, not as big. And that wine is still, you know, still that classic mm-hmm. California mm-hmm. style.
0: So we're running out of time and Prosecco and wine. <laughs> um, but just tell us as we wrap up, um, what's next for each of you? Society Fair is so new that it's probably there's maybe right. nothing next yet. But is yeah. or is that where you'll be hunkered down for a hunkered
3: while? Hunkered down. A lot of new things so I want to get do there and and um, you know bring a little bit of dc i'd love to get you know share a just more in northern virginia
0: yes you know,
1: and gonna, we're going to we're going to do an event and, together soon right yeah, we're yeah, hoping
0: yeah um and how about for 1000 days what's next
2: so there's hopefully going to be a new congress in uh, in a few weeks time and so um we'll be working on making sure that all the new and old members of congress know all about the importance of starting kids right with good nutrition in the first 1000 days
0: and the best way to people, for people to find out is uh, your website, which yeah, is? Yeah,
2: thousanddays.org. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and send us send us an email. Uh, let us know what you think of of our work and if you have any suggestions for how we can better serve moms and babies in this country and around the world.
0: Okay, a thousanddays.org. One
2: thousand Days. Lucy
0: Sullivan, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And Nadine Brown at Googling Society Fair will get you there.
3: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. Yay. Thanks for being with us. And thank Deb Shore, you, guys. Yeah, it was a great show. Thank Thanks you. For,
3: the stuff you both do. Thank you. Well, thanks. And thanks thanks for helping us do it.
0: Uh, I'm Billy Shore. This is Add Passion and Stir. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall.